Hey, buddy. Yes, Alice? How was your most recent viewing of Rogue One? Rogue One, a Star Wars story here in the month of August 2020. Um, I gotta tell you, it is... It has gone right back around to being impossible to focus on anything uh, for more than a few minutes at a time. Uh, and I I enjoyed watching Rogue One again, but I could not actually just sit down and watch it. No, it this has... was a viewing that had to be done in, in pieces. Uh, I, I'm willing to admit I didn't actually sit down to watch the whole film this month. Uh, I rewatched the segment a couple times. I watched the beginning, and then I got sad, and I had to leave it for next month. Maybe September I can do it, but... Yeah, uh, hopefully September brings us both a measure of stability that we did not have in August. Um, no, August was particularly difficult, and, uh, and, and folks listening, that's why this episode is so late in the month. Um, it's We, we both kind of had a, a really rough time of it. Uh, yeah, this month. just time slips away sometimes, even when things aren't going super weird and bad. And sometimes they go super weird and bad, too. <laughs> um, and so, Alice, I'm glad we could make some time at the end of August to revisit Rogue One and produce this August episode of Rogue Fun, a Star Wars story. Uh, yes. a, a, a podcast story. <laughs> Rogue Fun, a podcast story. This is, yeah, this... I'm glad that we're doing it. This project, this podcast is such like a treasure and a highlight of the month. And I love sharing it with everybody listening. Um, it just, yeah, it was just a, a particularly difficult time. And I hope everybody listening is doing okay. And um, and that, you know, we can all power through this together. And, and let's distract ourselves for a moment by talking for about an hour, about 10, exactly 10 minutes worth of content of this, <laughs> of this movie. What do you think? If, yeah, if there's one thing I hope we can bring to everybody, it is the chance to reflect on a beautiful, wonderful film that, uh, you know, we are here to focus on the appreciation of. And exploding these 10 minutes into an entire episode uh, is going to be awesome. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so uh, let's, let's get started. Okay, so we're starting at an hour and 41 minutes into the film. Hour uh, 1.41.13 is the timestamp here. Um, it's right after Antoc Merrick has swooped in, and um, he, I think he blew up the ATACT with just the power of his smile. Yes, um, I, I believe uh, no weapon systems were active. In fact, I don't think the X-Wing that he was flying was even in attack mode. No, he was just he, like he, smiling he just at things. Smiled and... so hard that the that the <laughs> thing blew up. So love that for him. Um, <laughs> so the first thing we see after, so they've flown away. They got that beautiful shot of Baze's thumbs up towards the X wing. Everything is wonderful. We're at like a really good like high point in this battle. Like things feel achievable and winnable. And so the first thing we see. Uh, in this segment of the film is uh, Bodhi is jumping down from the cockpit into the cargo hold uh, to give us some instructions. Yeah, uh, it, it is time for the uh, several steps needed for the transmitting of the Death Star plans to start <laughs> happening. Uh, so we don't even actually have the plans yet. We'll, we'll hop over to, um, you know, Jin and Cassian and K2 in a second. Um, but... You know, we can't just press a button and transmit. This is Star Wars. 
so <laughs> things are a little bit more complicated than that. Definitely. So this is going to be, yeah, a multi-step process. First, we got to hook the ship into the comms tower um, and then pull the switch so that the ship can broadcast a signal strong enough to get through the shield gate. Strong enough to talk through the shield gate. It can't, like, send files or anything. Right. Um, and so in order to do that, we've got to attach a line from the ship to the uh, to the tower. But it's not the tower with the master switch on it. That's a different comms tower switch because they have to call Melshi, right? <laughs> right. So so there's the wire that needs to get hooked in so that we can even talk to the rebel fleet. Then there's also the master control switch, which will enable broadcasting, I think is what that does. So they can't... So. Bodhi can't talk to the rebel fleet until the uh, until Melshi flips the switch. Right. He can plug in to the system, and then the switch gets flicked, which l- lets him actually do the talking. Right. Okay. Um. So yeah, a couple of steps need to be accomplished here, but Bodhi knows exactly what to do. He knows exactly what needs doing. Yeah. And... Well, as as an imperial technician and pilot, like of course. Yeah. Yeah, and this, so we get Bodhi again. We and we've seen just the most amazing transformation of of Bodhi from uh, it, just in the last hour, really, of this movie. Um, and so we get Bodhi gets a chance to like even further sink into his element. We saw him, you know, sneak them in through the shield gate and park in the first place. We've see, seen him do deception, and now he's going to give orders. And he's decisive, and he's direct, and he's clear, and they just kind of like stand there and look at him while he's <laughs> while he's doing it. And then he says, you know, he he kind of shouts at them a little bit. He's like, "All right, let's go! Like, come on! Like, he gives a a, a you know his direction and clear and order that gets followed. I want yeah. you to compare this Bodhi Rook to the one we saw at Saw Guerrera's house. <laughs> um, he's a different man. He is. He he has undergone a full transformation, and we are running out of time with Bodhi Rook. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the character arc does have to kind of come to an end here in just a couple of lines. We don't have a lot more space with him uh, to explore that development. But, you know, the stutter has been minimized. It's not gone. Um, but he he is speaking without hesitation. He knows what he needs to say, and he knows who can achieve it. And I think that's great for him. Um, and the thing that we have lost along the way from Bodhi, and maybe it's just because this isn't the time for it, but there's no sarcasm left for him. No, no, there is not. Right at the very beginning of the movie, uh, before he gets uh, attacked by the Borgalet, he is, yeah. He's he's start. He's a little sarcastic. He's he's angry. He's snarky. Uh, we don't have time for this. And and you know this is you know this unnecessary. I need to talk to Saw. You know he was he was a little bit more glib almost. Or yeah. you know he was he had like a purpose and a mission, but he wasn't um, he wasn't as focused as he is here. Um, it seems like he's come out the other side, uh, having lost some of the, some of the chatter, and, and but gained a like a like a purpose and a mission. 
Yeah, I mean, something I've always kind of wondered about all of that chatter uh, at the beginning of the movie is if it's out of, like, pure nerves, right? Like, like what do you do when you're nervous? I, I tend to joke. Like, I understand <laughs> Bodhi completely in that moment. And he's out of his element doing something that is about to change his life fundamentally. Um, you know, he's deserting and, and trying to make right with himself. Uh, and here... Uh, I feel like what's happened is he has made right with himself and despite being nervous and scared, despite knowing that they, you know, don't have a huge chance of success, he is in control now. Um, and so, so Bodhi's a rebel now and he's a pilot and he brought the message and now he's a leader. Um, and I think that's, you know, that, that's the final form of Bodhi Rook, isn't it? Yeah, it's... Yeah, he's a rebel now. I love it. <laughs> uh, it's the best. Bodhi rules. Yeah. Uh, but we don't get to spend too much time with Bodhi. He says, you know, he gets everybody into high gear. And then we cut between a handful of different uh, shots of the of the big battle, the overall battle. Um, we see what's going on up above the planet. We see the Moncal ships. We see the X-Wings making a run. We see... Um, in, we see into the cockpits of a couple of the X-Wing fighters, a couple of the, the leaders. Um, and then we see what's going on on the ground. We've got uh, the U-Wings dropping off, you know, troop transports. We've got, it's that that beautiful, maybe one of the most beautiful shots of the, of the whole film, where the U-Wing makes its wide turn between um, two walkers. Uh, we use the GIF on, on uh, Twitter all the time. Yeah. It's so gorgeous. And so you kind of start to, you see the parallels here, the cinematic parallels between what's going on up in space and what's down on the ground. These little rebellious ships making their runs on oversized Imperial defenses. We've got Star Destroyers up in the sky. We've got ATACTs down on the ground. They're big and they're way bigger than they need to be and menacing and terrifying. And our heroes are in these itty bitty little ships or using you know, handheld guns to try and, and, you know, make their impact. And that's yeah. Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pure Star Wars. And the other thing that we start to see in some of these shots is the, um, the balance of power does start to shift. You know, as the, as the surprise wears off and as the Imperial forces start to react, um, we have things like a cloud of TIE fighters emerging from the shield gate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have, we have things like, we're not doing enough damage on that shield, right? <laughs> like, we have those, those really Star Wars-y moments that we've kind of come to expect, but also we start to see how this fight isn't an automatic win just because it's a bit of an ambush. Like, also, we will see Death Troopers start to land on the beach, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, more troops start to come as the Death Troopers and the Sand Troopers, and yeah, that swarm of ties and and more and more stormtroopers overwhelming the vault, you know, in a, in a minute. All of this is coming in this segment where our, yeah, our 10 men that feels like 100 is suddenly now confronted with well over 100 enemies. Right. So the, the odds have gone from overwhelming and, you know, needing to be careful so as not to trigger this response to now it's overwhelming odds because the response has been triggered. Um, and yeah, I mean, as cool as some of these shots are, um, in, in space and on the beach, it, I mean, we have a lot of triumphant music 
and a lot of little triumphant moments. Um, but I, the the triumph for me, knowing how the movie ends, uh, starts to ring a little hollow at this point. Yes. Like, like, oh no, oh no, oh they think they're winning, oh no, <laughs> um, when they yeah. can't, right? Right. They they can't, and and we know this. We've seen this movie a hundred times. Uh, <laughs> we, but there is a glimmer here that feels. That feels like we're going to, that maybe we're going to see these overwhelming odds be beat because it's Star Wars. These are our heroes. Like we, we, we know Star Wars to be for good guys triumphing over bad guys. And so you think, wow, these odds look really bad, but they're going to be able to pull it off. No problem. Yeah. Um, uh, I I really like when they take down the walkers and they fall uh, hilariously, just like on Hoth, when just their knees first. buckle and they fall headfirst into the sand. Um, like a tired dog just suddenly <laughs> deciding to nap. So, so good. So Star Wars. Very delightful. Uh, speaking of so Star Wars, uh, we our next shot is we're back in the vault with Jin and Cassian. Yeah. Um, so Star Wars, how about that deep, deep ventilation shaft gotta (laughs) love gotta love those endless bottomless pit shafts (laughs) it's so star wars you can't like i think legally can't make a star wars movie without one and just like with a uh, i've got a bad feeling about this you know it's 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 classic. It feels good. It feels yeah. nostalgic. It feels right. Like it belongs there. Yeah, this this movie's still doing a lot of work with those icons and symbols and images and even lines of dialogue, right? Like you know, we neglected to mention again because we've already talked about it, but the the uh, original 1977 footage in the space battle above Scarif yes. uh, and you know, the the way that the ships just look and feel and the way it's all intermeshed and then also we have this very Star Warsy thing happening where we're going to have people interacting with a bottomless pit. Um, and not to mention, you know, uh, conversations happening over comlinks, droids interfacing with, you know, um, complicated Imperial systems. Like, it all just feels right. And yeah, everything about this this vault scene feels very Star Wars, especially like the, the storage media. Uh, I love this big hard drive thing it's that so they have to get. Strange! It's so weird. It's like it's like claw hand. It's like claw machine <laughs> technology. There's there's no way that that's the most efficient way to store media. No. and and retrieve it. There's like, no way. There's like no way. You... Like, why are those hands manual? Like, why does Cassie have to manually do it? If he was off by like one thing, he would not. He would pull out just the file next to it and he'd have to put it back in and move it over again like imagine being an imperial and it being your job to get files in any amount of time oh my gosh (laughs) what if the file was on the other side of the 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 towers are fully circular what if the the little green light that they see it's just on on the the other other side side? and they're like wait sitting there hitting the button he's like it's right there guys (laughs) and they're like where (laughs) and it's not it's not even one tower right it's like three three of them yeah (laughs) so if you've ever spent time in a library looking at old microfiche uh which is something that i've unfortunately done 
for for a lot of time. <laughs> um, this seems worse than that, and that's the worst. That's the worst. Like I've I've personally gone to archives where you have to request a specific role and then bring a piece of paper with the request to a human being who then goes and retrieves it to you or uh, retrieves it for you rather and then you have to just pray that what you wanted was on there and if it's not well i guess try the next one (laughs) and then you have to send that poor person all the way back and you feel bad asking even though it's their job and yeah all for all for a low resolution tiny picture that gets blown up on a a monster of a machine (laughs) that you have to like use knobs to manipulate it's awful well that must me that must feel exactly what they feel when they go to get the death star plan and it's this (laughs) itty bitty little disc and they have to blow it up on you know a hollow projector seriously (laughs) like all of this work and it's like this like low res image of lines that vaguely look like a death star it's just dots in a (laughs) sphere when they finally look at it uh and so my question is later the rebels will put it on a much smaller much nicer looking disc why wasn't it on that in the first place exactly (laughs) if it had to be stored on a physical medium why not that why a giant basically vhs tape i was just gonna say they move it from a vhs tape to a dvd and, (laughs) and then I don't know. And then that's how they get it to Leia. <laughs> it's yeah. so strange. I don't, I don't even know. I don't know. Lord, I I don't know. But, I, <laughs> but I'm the sort of person, like, I still have a, a pretty significant DVD collection, even though I could have transferred them all to, you know, like, digital copies. Sure. So maybe I'm that. Maybe I'm the Empire. <laughs> You know, the thing the thing about it all is we, we laugh and we joke and we talk about how, like, bad and archaic it is. But, like, it is, like, it is undeniably Star Wars. It is. Like, the thing, the thing about, like, the anachronistic 1970s technology, but in space, is that Star Wars is exactly that flavor. And to, to just abandon it and be like, well, they can just download it from anywhere onto their data pads or whatever, I think loses the magic. Um, and, and would make things a lot less interesting. It would be like a horror movie where all the cell phones work. Um, <laughs> and so Star Wars maybe falls into the trap of having to have moments where we explain that away, right? Where we're like, oh, the, that's not how a data pad works, right? Um, but also, how can we ever have cool tower climbing sequences without this sort of thing? Well, we couldn't. Exactly. And it wouldn't be Star Wars. It would not be. Uh, speaking of 1977 Star Wars, just really quick, K2SO is channeling Han Solo here so much. With Finally! The, with the, you're here! <laughs> you're here. They went uh, that way. There's one. <laughs> it sounds exactly like Han Solo doing the, we're all fine here. How are you? <laughs> Everything's under control, situation normal. What happened? Uh, it's like weapons malfunction, but uh, everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? <laughs> uh, noted, noted charismatic rogue Han Solo, unable to lie better than a reprogrammed droid. <laughs> <laughs> just the, just terrible liars. They just the, are. both of them. And I think, 
you know, this this sort of echo of 1977 is important because it makes us think, like you said, it makes us think that these are our heroes and everything's going to be fine. Yep. But right away at the end of the sequence, we start to see, oh, well, no, right? Like, there right. are more consequences in this movie than in the original trilogy. Right. K2SO channels Han Solo, makes a funny joke, throws a stormtrooper at another stormtrooper, and then takes a shot to the back first damage it's not the same movie this is not a new hope 1977 this is a this is rogue one and yeah it's uh the stakes are high yeah and and the scene does work to establish like the seriousness of this moment and also that k2 is scary like oh, yeah. he's scary strong and he's scary strong and amazingly accurate with a blaster and just like i don't know Part of part of what made me think while watching the segment again was like they do spend a lot of the movie talking about K2 as if he's a liability. They do. But he wouldn't be Cassian's best friend and eternal mission partner if he was a liability. Right. He has to like, be good. We just not didn't target get a chance practice. to see it. Right. He's, he's not. <laughs> he's not he's not a walking liability. He he provides important data at multiple points. He is, uh, you know, a capable pilot and a good technician. And, you know, he, he's, he's a real hero in this story. And I think it's funny that maybe Acts 1 and 2 have lines that are like, well, K2SO, he's, he's weird and bad, actually. But <laughs> I think no, a lot he's... of that is because it's, it's Jin, Jin's perspective on it and K2 hates Jin. And Jin hates K2 right back until, you know, in the last segment that we covered when, when that trust bond is formed and so, she gives him the gun. So nice. So sweet. And and so that, that you know, becomes Chekhov's blaster because he needs to use it right away. <laughs> yeah. It's um it's incredible growth that they have that they have shown and delivered and that the it's almost like a fun reveal of how useful K2SO like really is, like really can be. Yeah, it turns Wait. out he's C-3PO and R2-D2 and Chewbacca all at the same time. Whoa! He's an incredibly efficient character. He is. <laughs> oh, man. Good call. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, back on the beach. We are uh, still attempting to hook into the tower. This part one of the hooking into the comps tower and flipping the switch is the part that takes the longest. Um, it takes pretty much this whole 10 minute segment to, to get connected. Um, and to that, I say Melshi is the real, real hero here. Um, oh yeah. Melshi rules. Well, I love how he talks on the, on the com when he, they like, Oh, go flip a master switch. And he's like, no, that doesn't make any sense. Master describe switch. It. Describe. What are we looking for? Master switch. Describe. What are we looking for? He needs the facts. He needs the details, and he kind of forces Bodhi into because it cuts back to Bodhi, and Bodhi's like, uh, uh, he, you know, we don't get to hear Bodhi finish that sentence. Uh, is, it's a master switch. It's a switch. I don't know. Everybody knows. I don't know where it is. You know, I don't know exactly where it would be. I don't know. You know, I don't know how to tell you because Bodhi's right. gonna have a mo- moment of doubt through this, you know, through this part where he's trying to um take to thread the wire through and it gets stuck, and he says, I can't make it through. You know. Well, you know, we're not exactly there yet, but Bodhi, despite the fact that we just saw him become a leader, um, is uh, going to have a moment of doubt, uh, which all I guess all good leaders must have. Um, 
but he, you know, Melshi, Melshi is asking for the facts, for the not, this isn't idealism anymore. This isn't just, oh, we have to do it for, you know, for the, the sake of everything. We've got to get it done. He's like, okay, but how? Yeah. Like what is, what is actually needed to happen here? Yes. Uh, and yeah, I, I feel like a lot of times we, we forget that like, you can't just say things. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> like, that's like the point of, now that I think about it, that's the point of this movie, right? Like, this movie is here to answer the question, yeah, but how? In in A New Hope, they say, oh, we got the Death Star plans. Yeah, but how? <laughs> how did we get the Death Star plans? Where did they come from? Why is there a flaw in the system, right? Right. This movie is a, is a lesson in practicality in Star Wars. This isn't just idealism and magic and Jedi and, and you know, all the other things one singular hero saving the day this is how do we get a team of people to work together and get the details and save the day um on the ground you know with casualties and 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 dirt and loss and tragedy and all of that this is the this is the but how this is the what are we looking for that melshi is asking yeah and in a lot of ways the movie privileges rational practical thinking over emotional or magical thinking right like like even even the the kind of dichotomy between Baze and Chirrut who we're about to pay a visit to is like well you could sit there and yell about how great the force is or whatever but also I protected you right it's like (laughs) like who what what is really happening here is it you know some mystical force controlling the universe and and you know kind of trying to restore balance or is it people doing things that makes the difference and i think actually the movie kind of even though even though the force is present in this movie yes i think it comes down on the side of it's people doing things and these people have flaws and they have limits uh and it's the overcoming of those limits that is extraordinary not necessarily the magical force within them that is and melshi is that for this yes. movie uh yeah. because because he is the he is the like stereotypical commando right like he's <laughs> just like a guy with a gun who leads some other guys with a gun right like, he's not our main character he's not you know uh particularly stood out in any way we don't other than the fact that we've seen him beginning beginning of the movie to the end, we do follow Melshi, or Melshi follows us from the very, very beginning of the movie to the very, very end. Um, but he's, you know, he's normal. He's a normal guy. St- signed up for a rebellion, got good at his job. You know, he's, this is, Melshi's what the movie is all about. Yeah. The normal, I, and, the normal soldier. Yeah. And in many ways, you know, we, we talked about them as the rebels expendables. But the like how how unexpendable unexpendable that's not right how absolutely <laughs> crucial are the Melshis of this story like they they are absolutely necessary and they, they make this happen yeah what what's what even separates a Cassian from a Melshi anyways except like billing um, <laughs> like they're they're the same guy just with different specialities. Yes, yeah, because and Cassian's our Cassian's our main character, and we've chosen to follow him, but it could have just as easily been a story about Melshi. Yeah. <sighs> Man, 
man, hey, this movie, it's really good. It's good. It's yeah, like really it's a good, good movie. <laughs> and uh, so, so uh, we we get a, a kind of a taste of um, why these people, why these rebels, are inspired to fight in this moment next, yes. right? This part just now, watching the segment, like refreshing my memory right before we recorded. Um, when the U-Wing pulls up and they say, troop transports, get ready. And they jump out of the U-Wing shouting for Jetta. I immediately, my whole body just erupted into goosebumps. It was wild. I, I had never really paid attention to that. I mean, I knew, obviously knew that it happened, that they said it and was like, oh, that's nice. But for some reason, hearing the for Jetta just shook me this time. Like, yeah, I, I I don't know why it doesn't land harder for me because it is it's an important line. And I think it, it's like really thematic to Star Wars. And I think it even has like um, important parallels in A New Hope. Uh, there's that conversation that Leia has with Tarkin about how the more they tighten their grip, the more star systems will slip through his fingers. The more you tighten your grip, Tarkin, the more star systems will slip through your fingers. Right? Yes, yes. Um, and what was Jeddah if not a, an unacceptable tightening of the grip? Like, it, yes. it, was, it was a statement and not a manifesto, as Tarkin, you know, demanded. But, but it clearly affected and inspired a lot of people to take action. What yeah. what what Tarkin considered a minor inconvenience to him, the city of Jeddah, uh, you know, Jeddah City, um, was just nothing to him. Just a statement um, became an inspiration for you know dozens, if not hundreds, of soldiers. Yeah, I mean the the existence of the Death Star is still technically a secret, right? I mean part of part of what this fight is about is. Um, maintaining that secrecy just for a little bit longer. Right. Um, because they'll make their big reveal when they destroy Alderaan. Um, but in the meantime, like anybody who hears of what the Death Star is capable of is now like, it, it, they were already rebels, sure. But these soldiers are now so on board. Like, yes. they blew up a city. Yes, they were just, not. Just to maintain a secret. They, these soldiers coming out on this U-Wing were not in the initial wave of soldiers. They were not in that first volunteer group, the Rebel Expendables. Um, but they were still, like, they maybe they would have been if they had heard about it, if they had had the chance. If, if the council had gone, okay, you know what? Yeah, we got to go to Scarif. We got to go, we got to go get that, you know, got to go get those plans. Everybody in the base would have been like, "Yes, of course." Yeah, <laughs> count, they blew like, up count Jetta. Me in. They, they blew up Jetta. Like that's crazy, and and that's why you know when when the attack finally is happening, everybody jumps into high gear to go, you know, participate because they wanted to. So many people. When J Jin is giving her speech to the council, and she's surrounded by people, and the people. And we talked about this. The people close to the table in their fancy outfits are saying, no, we can't, you know. But the people around her are all in various uniforms and flight suits and holding weapons and have helmets on their heads. You know, they're like in the thick of it. Yeah. And they're the ones who are like, let the girl speak. And, oh, we want to go, you know. Yeah. And, and they don't listen. 
But once the battle finally starts, these are the people that are going to have to give their lives to make it happen. It's, yeah, and and it's like a, I don't I don't know because sometimes we can as as Star Wars fans, I think uh, we can kind of abstract out the Empire a little bit, like even. Even watching A New Hope, the Empire is abstracted for a lot of citizens of the galaxy, too, right? Yeah. Like, Luke is like, oh, the Empire, cool. Like, they have fun ships that I could learn to fly. Like, I want to go to the <laughs> Imperial Academy. Yeah. Right? It uh, doesn't mean anything to him. Right. Because... And even even for Rebels, I wonder if it can be a little abstracted as like, oh, they're oppressive. But like, oppressive how, right? Like, we watching this movie see the Imperials being evil before the moment of Jeddah, sure. But I feel like Jeddah City exploding is such a monumental event that it does kind of change the tone of the film, like we talked about, right? Like, it's like a light switch flips, and suddenly it's not like, it's not a problem if you don't look up, and it's like, if you look up, there's the Death Star, right? Like, it, it is... It is the unabstracting of the oppression of the Empire from an, a set of ideas that people can disagree with and not hold to and want to fight against versus, like, catastrophically evil doings. Um, <laughs> and and that's interesting because I, I feel like a lot of times we might we might criticize that way of thinking, like, they probably should have been super on board to fight even before Jetta blows up, right? Like, how dare they wait that long? Sure. But but also, it's like a very human, natural reaction to be like, that was the last straw. Now the fight is happening. Right. And not to get um, not to get too current eventy, <laughs> or you know, we we tend to, to try to not talk about politics or anything too much, but. That's kind of a reckoning we're in right now, right? Like, this summer, this the events of this summer, the events that everything that has happened since March have felt like that catalyst, the this is the last straw, this is it. Like, this, the movement that's going on in America now feels like the end of the end of the rope for so many people and you can say and you know you would you wouldn't be wrong to criticize but you know you could say oh so this is the last straw you should have been on board from the beginning but isn't it better that people did find the last straw and join the fight anyways like at the end of the day like yeah this fight has been going on for so long and you should have been on board from the beginning but like maybe it's just okay that that you did join the fight anyways, you know? It's a, it's an enormous question, right? And and I think what's cool about Star Wars is that it uh it reflects that. And somehow Rogue One reflected that in, you know, 2016. <laughs> 2016 when there's no way it could have known how reflective it could have been. Right. It um, came out in December 2016, but they had been filming it for years. They'd r- written it, you know, Yeah, it, it, what's, what's uncanny about Rogue One is that it feels like a movie made for December of 2016 exactly as December of 2016 was. <laughs> right. And, and none of the alternate timelines where things went a little differently... Um, <laughs> would have would have been as appropriate for Rogue One. And maybe that's just our brains assigning meaning 
and and comparing things and comparing fiction to actual events but yeah and and like you said yeah here we are in 2020 and many people are finding their last straw and i think just like Jin had to find her last straw right yeah like just really like did. Yeah, just like all of the characters in Rogue One, really. I mean, were they not resisting before? Yeah. They were. They were resisting. It's just they weren't resisting loudly, actively, in ways that were risky for them, maybe. Yeah, uh, risky, effective, you know. it. They, they, needed, they needed something. Everybody needs something to get them on board for the, for the big fight. Yeah. Wow. Dang. <laughs> yeah, that's that's heavy and I know I know we try not to be too heavy, but you can't divorce media from its time. No. Um and you can't divorce your reading of media from its time. And yeah, it's interesting the way that the way that we have seen Rogue One has changed with the era. The era that has been the year 2020, which has felt like five years. I know. And it's not even over. No. Um, you know, has how you watch Rogue One in January of this year versus August of this year. Gosh, it, even when we started this podcast in, uh, what was that, June or July of 2018? To go, an eternity ago. It, it feels like an eternity ago. We could go back and start this movie from the beginning, start this podcast over from the beginning and have totally different things to say than what Ponders and I had to say, you know, back that summer. To, gosh, yeah. that was like two whole summers ago. And it would be a different podcast now. Yeah. And and it wouldn't be wrong. And, and your reading from back then is not wrong either. No. It's just... It's just that now, with with current context, I think we make stronger connections with certain moments. Because for Jetta, I don't know, maybe maybe back then I was reading for Jetta as kind of a like remember the Alamo sort of moment, <laughs> which doesn't have a lot of emotional connection for me. Um, but now we see a lot of movements that are for those that have been wronged. Yes, like that we we invoke the names of people that have been unfairly treated or even killed yes we, uh, we protest in the names of of individuals yeah. often uh and especially this summer yeah and uh, yeah and so saying for Jetta, they're they're calling out the name of of something of someone of a people who were harmed who were wronged who were killed and that yeah that's ooh. <laughs> yeah that yeah that maybe hurts. that's maybe that's why this time you got tingles yeah i'm getting them again <laughs> <laughs> Woo, okay uh we gotta keep going we do yeah we got we've got so many more minutes so much more tragedy to cover <laughs> all right i would like to lighten the mood uh in the podcast uh by making a bold statement okay uh, Red 5 deserves better. Red 5 deserves better. Uh, and, and what, what I don't understand is how a Star Wars movie that came out in 2016 made the same mistake of, and I, I, I gotta say it because it, it is not cool, but killing the overweight, uh, yep. pilot. Yep. 
had, did it again? They did it in 77 with Porkins, which was maybe the cruelest nickname in all of Star Wars. It's definitely and, up there. And they do it again in 2016 for Red 5. It doesn't feel right. It, it feels like a weird joke. Uh, and it doesn't land for me. Yeah. And as cool as a reference as it is that Luke will soon be Red 5 because Red 5 is lost in this fight. It's not a fun scene. Why did they do it? I thought you said you were going to lighten the mood. Why did they <laughs> why did they do it? Why would I guess they do I guess I said thing? I was going to lighten the mood because I was like Red 5 deserves better and that's kind of just a meme way to to talk about <laughs> characters in movies, but like seriously. No, for real. You're absolutely right. There's no reason. <laughs> there's no reason for them to have done that. It's just a joke. At, and it's a, a joke at people's expense and it it feels it feels weird yeah um yeah it's it's i guess meant to be uh you know a parallel a connection but it was not a parallel or connection that was particularly like meaningful to people you know it's they're... not like poetry it doesn't rhyme <laughs> that part didn't need to rhyme yeah. and that's okay um but we can we can we can step through this now all right red five is gone we'll see luke skywalker soon let's keep going (laughs) okay so let's let's talk about another moment that i would like to um i'd like to kind of uh name this sequence do do i have that privilege on this podcast Uh, sure okay i'd like to name this uh sequence uh easter egg island (laughs) (laughs) we're we're gonna stop the movie for a while to make some easter egg uh announcements and they're all gonna be extended universe stuff and some of it will be relevant later uh but we're gonna we're gonna talk about it all right now (laughs) we're just gonna say some words hey fans do you remember the dark saber <laughs> hey fans, do you remember or will you soon know about hyperspace tracking? What? what? Will that be important in the next movie to come out? <laughs> yes, it will be. And uh I don't know. I think it's cute. Um like this is this is the fun poetry, I think. Like This is fun poetry. Red 5 bad poetry. This good poetry. <laughs> yeah, like let's let's talk about hyperspace tracking. Let's talk about the dark saber. Let's talk about what's what's the other one? It's like Pax, Pax Aurora. Pa- Pax Aurora. You know, some of these I don't even know, uh but I am like aware that they are Star Wars things. Um and I I think it's neat that the Empire is working on some of these like now extend old extended universe legends stuff um that it's canon that it's possible but it's not canon that it happens and i think that's pretty neat actually like these things are being thought about in the universe even if they're not you know realistic yeah um like i i don't think the dark saber the dark saber is a thing right in mandalorian and yes, in uh in, in uh, clone wars and rebels um, uh but i don't think it used to be that correct me if i'm wrong in the comments or whatever but there's definitely a series of books where the remnants of the empire basically build a lightsaber that is a gun in space and they just turn it on to zap planets away um uh it's it's like a death star but within without any ball it's just a kyber crystal in a gun jesus uh and i think that's called the dark saber or something um i'm sure someone will tell us yes in uh, fact we encourage it uh, and that's just <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> please do correct me 
in this case. And tell us but what Pax just... Aurora is. I want to know. I have no I idea. I don't know if that's a reference to something or if it just sounds cool. It sounds like a Thrawn thing. Maybe Ooh, it's a Thrawn thing. Maybe it's a Thrawn thing. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but it's just one of the many, you know, failed uh, super weapon ideas of the Star Wars extended universe before before Disney kind of simplified everything. Um, and I think that's wonderful. I don't know. Yeah. Like, here on Easter Egg Island, we have, you know, 30 seconds to yell about some of those things. And whether or not they ever become relevant is irrelevant. It's just <laughs> neat that we're talking about that. But hyperspace tracking did become relevant in The Last Jedi. And yeah. And that, that was neat. That was a neat thing to, in The Last Jedi, to go, wait a minute. They referenced that in Rogue One. Yeah, it's it's neat. And also, I mean, not to not to make this a, um, a sequels podcast, but <laughs> like, I guess hyperspace tracking went from experimental maybe theoretical like during rogue one to they finally figured it out in the last jedi yeah and they figured it out and that it was like a secret right and then two weeks later every tie fighter has it because you can just track the millennium falcon through like four hyperspace skips light skip yeah light speed skips yeah 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 (laughs) like Um, okay man but i mean we lived through the tech boom of the 90s and 2000s you know this isn't things move quick this isn't the iphone getting smaller alice (laughs) this is hyperspace tracking being strapped to a tie fighter when it it used to need a room you know a whole room (laughs) Listen, I don't know. Don't ask me. I didn't make the movies. I just like them. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, hyperspace tracking being what it is, um, I-, I think it's a fun moment. And way too foreshadow. Like, we don't get a lot of foreshadowing of this kind in Star Wars, really. We get a lot of referencing, but not a lot of foreshadowing. Right. I mean, even the prequels are all references, despite being... Prequels. Like prequels which is which is kind of (laughs) wild when you think about it this is one of the prequels that is also a huge reference to a bunch of stuff said in a new hope um but also it manages to have its own like future events that it foreshadows that are unique and that is cool about rogue one yeah they did a, a good job tying it tying it into the universe not just into a new hope but giving it threads to other to other things and that's cool. Yeah. Star Wars. You know what rules. else is cool? What else is cool? You know what the coolest thing in the world is? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Is it shooting without looking? <laughs> it is shooting people without looking, especially in Star Wars. Yep. Uh, Chirrut does it because he he, he doesn't look like it, ever. That's um that, true. <laughs> but, you know, he does that no look behind the back bow kill on it's that TIE fighter. Just the best. Um, and and then in this movie we we get to see it yet again. This is K2SO channeling Han Solo again. <laughs> <laughs> he's just he's just pulling out his blaster and shooting, you know, dead sideways into a group of stormtroopers. No problem. He doesn't even need to look. Like what a champion. But Honestly. that's what we see we see um we see Han pull a move like this off in um The Force Awakens. That's true. And it's really cool when he does it. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's super cool when K2 does it because he's just like at a desk. <laughs> he's just like beep boop boop pew and, and killing guys yeah he's busy doing other stuff at the same time in multitasking in a way that really only droids can do yeah and it makes me wonder like you know we we've seen some ig units in other star wars stuff and everybody's always raving about how dangerous they are right but yeah. like i don't know 
I'm kind of more scared of K2s. So I guess like, so I guess they um I haven't played it myself but I've seen it play but um the new Jedi Fallen Order game I say new but it's been out for a minute the newest yeah. <laughs> Jedi Fallen Order um I guess Cal- you get to put Calcastus up against some KX units in that I watched my fiance play um and they're terrifying in battle they're really scary <laughs> Well, to watch them in action and without the fun personality of K2 to kind of break yeah. it up. They're really scary. Yeah, they're nine feet tall, glowing eyes, skull faces. You know, their faces look like skulls. It's true. Their arms rotate a lot. Yep. Um, uh, K2 takes, what, seven blaster hits before he goes down? Probably <laughs> a lot more than that. Maybe more? I'll count someday. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... It's- yeah, he He's takes terrifying. a ton, a ton of damage before he finally falls. And he has reaction without times looking. Yes, to reaction catch, time. To catch grenades and throw them back before they go off. Yep. Uh he he's wild. He's so he, cool. And and if you if you put a bunch of those on a battlefield and just said, like, go nuts, guys. <laughs> uh, you you don't need stormtroopers anymore. <laughs> yeah, make more of these guys. And I guess the IG the IG units I think were um like a limited run, limited release. There's only yeah. like a few of them. Well, because um, they're so dangerous. They're so dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know what else is cool? I really like when Star Wars introduces cool new um uh stormtrooper looks. Like yes. like, okay, sue me, but I think the Sith troopers in Rise of Skywalker look amazing. Yeah, um, I, I just wish we could have seen him do more. Yeah, I was, you know, I was just like into it. Um, <laughs> I, I like, you know, obviously stormtroopers are cool. Snow troopers are cool. Scout troopers are cool. All of them are cool. Sand troopers are cool. Uh, we see the sand troopers in action here um, on on Scarif coming out, you know, of the of the coming out of the of the door confronting Bodhi while he's trying to like unhook that wire coming poor, out of their poor... cage and they've been doing just fine how dare you <laughs> they gotta gotta be down because they want rebels dead I'm, I'm cutting this <laughs> 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 um and so yeah I just the 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 new stuff we got in this movie I actually I just went ahead and assumed sand troopers were new to this movie I know the death troopers are they are um the u-wings you know the the kx units all of this stuff that's like like rogue one gets to introduce this tech to the universe and it's wonderful yeah and I didn't realize how big of a tradition it was to like have a new stormtrooper look in movies <laughs> um until you said it like we first got new stormtroopers when Empire came out. Like, obviously yeah. the first new stormtroopers we ever got were stormtroopers. But... Right, but then we got the snowtroopers, and then they got the, um oh, the, the scout troopers and the, you know, the ones on Endor. And then... Yeah, and not to mention the Imperial Guard in that movie. Yes. Um, um, and then, you know, we got clone troopers starting in Attack the Clones. And, and those and got updates between movies. Those got updates between movies, and then uh, from Force Awakens... Uh, Force Awakens, the First Order Stormtroopers got a hel- new helmet design, and then they got, um, oh no, what did they get for The Last Jedi? I just had it, and then I lost it. I think maybe it was just a new design. Uh, correct me, huh. correct me, listeners, what did they get for The Last Jedi? I, well, I mean, they got new walkers, that was important. Yes. Um, and then, yeah, and then Sith Troopers for The Rise of Skywalker. And yeah. so, <laughs> there's like... So, Oh, it's just cool. It's cool yeah. that, you know, because it's just, you know, passage of time and updates in tech and 
and all of these things and and then you can place them you know by era and and everything it, it's like it's the kind of thing that a normal like an average moviegoer wouldn't really care about but that um it's the if it was the same stormtrooper design all the time from prequel era through sequel era then maybe people would be like they just never wanted to update that design like <laughs> like never <laughs> well it, it's great because it, it also comes organically in a couple of cases as like you know a different purpose for the armor right like the sand troopers are sand troopers because their armor is designed to blend in with the sand presumably it has other functions that are more sand equipped <laughs> too um, bad they didn't have them on tatooine Exactly. So you can you can see kind of how like if the empire were a really real like military, you might have your kind of general purpose like infantry, which is like the stormtroopers in white, right? Uh-huh. And you can see how that's not always well equipped to handle every situation because on Tatooine, those stormtroopers don't excel, right? Like right. They they fail to recognize R2 and 3PO. Um, you know, they get duped. Uh, and <laughs> maybe a sand trooper would have had an easier time because they wouldn't have been in such heavy armor uh, on a desert planet where it's 500 degrees. Like, <laughs> they would have been more equipped for the for the role. Yeah. yeah, for the search and rescue. You see them searching and rescue or searching for the droids in that one scene where they're literally combing the desert. Oh, wait, that's space <laughs> oh, wait, balls. That's space balls. <laughs> um, but, you know, where they're combing the desert and you're like, oh, those guys look miserable. Like, they're clumsy. It's not good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just think it's neat that the Empire has these tools at their disposal. And even with all of the resources, they don't deploy them as effectively as they could all the time it makes it seem like our heroes have more of a chance once in a while. Yeah, and that and that almost it almost humanizes the the empire, you know, like uh, it's human mistakes and you can yeah. see that there's people behind making those decisions and and making those designs and putting everything together and you see that that the enemy you're fighting isn't some faceless mass of, you know, masked stormtroopers. It's they're like people. Yeah, that that are doing bad things, and you can stand yeah. up to them. To to make a belabored point, like they don't win on Hoth with different equipment. If it's not snowtroopers and walkers, they don't win that assault. Actually, right. Part of what makes it so overwhelming is how well equipped and well deployed everything is. Yeah, and, then and later our the rebels barely make it out with their lives. Right, and later the rebels have to eke out victories when things are not that overwhelming. And I feel like, so here in Rogue One, you know, the Empire has everything they need at their disposal. Yep. They can fight in any environment. Oh, you want to fight on a tower? Here's normal stormtroopers. You want to you fight, fight on a beach? Here's sandtroopers. Uh, you want to fight in the sky? Here's a thousand TIE fighters. Yep. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. We still have a lot to say. <laughs> yeah, but let's go for it. Let's go. Let's keep going. <laughs> So we're back in the tower and we are with our with our favorites. And uh, so we've gone through, we've seen <laughs> Dark Saber, lights, you know, hyperspace tracking, Pax Aurora, Stardust. I know because it's me. And I've said we've said this before and we'll say it again all over this movie, but Stardust and and the connection that Galen Erso keeps uh, thinking about his daughter and 
and doing everything for her and um and how his great his greatest invention and his greatest work of his life is both Jin and the Death Star and both of them have hearts of Kyber and they're both stardust and they're both those parallels those connections that we see being made here where Jin outright down, outright smiles when she re- when she sees that it's stardust and she said I know because it's me and she looks up at, at Cassian and, and like because she knows now what her father has been through and she knows now that her father's been thinking of her this whole time and here's another reminder Galen never, ever stopped thinking of you to the point that he needed to name a project that he would talk about and work on for his entire life. He had to name it after his daughter. It's so, it's so sad. Yeah, <laughs> it's it devastating. is. It's, it's a beautiful little moment. And again, one of, one of the more like triumph, triumphant moments where yeah. we feel like this is meant to be, um, and our heroes are right where they're supposed to be. Yes. And it's going to be fine. If actually. Cassian had gone on this mission alone, he never would have found it. No, he would have been like, ah, it's probably Darksaber. That sounds cool. <laughs> or let just... me just try and download all of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a Cassian move. He's like, oh, crap. All right, I'll just take them all and just walk uh... out with an armful of special projects. <laughs> <laughs> um you know maybe maybe that actually would have been helpful down the line but we, we got a death star to blow up right now so absolutely so Jin recognizes, <laughs> <laughs> Jin recognizes stardust and yeah there's there's that small intimate moment that she gets to share with cassian right like i know yes. because it's me and and then the door closes yeah because k is pinned down and the first thing he does is think of Cassian's safety. Breaking my heart again. <laughs> breaking my heart now. <laughs> my heart is breaking now. Closing um, the vault door. <laughs> because cause here's, here's K2. And I just really quick, it cuts a couple of times here. We're going to talk about K2 for a while. But it cuts a couple of times here between K and Bodhi, which we've already established they're the same character. They're, you know, our, our reprogrammed Imperials, both of them here pinned down, um, totally at the, at the will, at the mercy of Imperial soldiers. Um, and Bodhi works up the courage to run and plug in. Uh, K2 uh, realizes that it's going to be fruitless. So he locks the vault door and gives them final instructions. So parallels, but then not. <laughs> So I have a question. Yes. Um, have we ever in a Star Wars movie before or since killed a droid like this? I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, like up close, personal and intimately. Like a, like a, a droid that's our friend, obviously. Like the droid armies don't count. Um, sure. But like maybe, maybe there have been, there have been moments in, uh, like Clone Wars and Rebels, where we have met droids that do die. Um, you know, I'm thinking of the one episode in Clone Wars. No, it's in Rebels, where uh, Chopper meets a- an Imperial droid, uh, and they bond, and Aww. it's it's really beautiful. Like, uh, they both feel like the world has moved beyond them, and they're you know not really necessary anymore and and the imperial droid ends that scene by sacrificing himself or no. that that episode 
Uh, I we... haven't seen Ro- I haven't seen Rebels yet. <laughs> it's that's a, so that's sad. A really good episode of Rebels. Um, and there's the story of um three PO's red arm, uh, which is a comic story, where um, you know, we find out that three PO's red arm is from a droid that made a noble sacrifice on a mission with three PO, oh. and three PO was wearing the arm to honor him. Um. But you and probably didn't arm... recognize him because of right. the red arm. Yeah, I, I barely remember that 3PO's in that movie because of that red arm. Um, <laughs> uh, but, like, you know, there's... there's We've, we've always cared about the droids. Um, especially the droids that are our friends. Especially R2 and 3PO in the movies. Um, and we've we've seen them uh, oh, dismembered. Be- buddy, buddy, we forgot about L3 just entirely. Oh, shoot, L3! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, okay. just, they absolutely they They her. do just kill L3, don't they? Yeah, and it's very sad, but she becomes the Falcon, so it's fine. It's a little bit more fine than what happens to K2, but, no, but it's I, I don't know if it's really fine. It's yeah. devastating, the loss of L3. Love L3, of course. Love L3. Um, I just, I don't, I'm so sorry. For those of you who were listening for the last, and like, just waiting like, three for us minutes, to mention L3. just <laughs> shouting into your, into your phone, it's L3! L3! It was L3! L3! You know, I just, yeah, I, I apologize. I know, I, I know you were doing it. That's um, weird. It's it seems to be a Star Wars story tradition then. Oh no. <laughs> that we that we kill a droid. And get this, if you if you consider Mandalorian a Star Wars story. Oh no. Then then the that's... loss of IG eleven. Oh, that's um, so sad. Is very similar. That was really We're... sad. That was a that was a really good scene. Yeah. Spoilers for the Mandalorian. Sorry. Um <laughs> but it's it's like a it's interesting. I feel like Rogue One actually breaks some new ground by killing K2 the way they do. Um, we we see a droid go down in this blaze of glory, but also it, it, so nobly. Yeah. Like, we it, it's a really noble moment. literally watched the light leave his eyes. It's very yeah. devastating. Yeah, it, um, it crushed me the first time it happened, for yeah, sure. Yeah, this is the moment... This, this is the moment of the movie where I remember the first time watching it going... Oh, I don't think they're gonna make it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Killing K two makes it real. I thought at the time I was like, oh no, I don't think they're gonna make it. But I thought, okay, well, Jin's gonna make it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, somebody's gonna make it. it's gonna be Jim. But like everybody else is a goner. Nope. Um, I want I want to say one I want to say one more thing about yeah. about this. I want about this is about K's last words, but it puts us back into this into this vault. It's a it's just something I was thinking about about the uh, endless tow- the endless um, shaft and the um, you know, the bottomless pit in the middle of a of a Star Wars of an imperial you know thing. Yeah. And I was thinking about the word climb, and I was thinking about about K 2s you know final speech. Um, is there another time? In, in Star Wars, you know, we get all of these bottomless pits. How many people climb out of these bottomless pits? We see people fall into them a lot. We see Luke fall into one. We see Han fall into one. We see um, no, uh, Darth Maul fall into one. Um, I'm sure there are more examples. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, uh, but how many times do we see people climb out of them? I have I have one example, and you can tell me if it counts or not. Okay. 
Uh, but Ray Star Wars Skywalker. Oh yes, Ray Star Wars. Um, she she climbs when whenever she's confused. It seems like she does like, climb quite a lot. Yes, she's like a when, feral child. Who climbs <laughs> just all the time. She sees something she can climb. She's like, well, the solution is probably up there. Um, so <laughs> yes. she she okay. definitely climbs around in a star destroyer. Um, when they're on uh Star Killer Base. In, she climbs in, in there. In the ruins of the Death Star. Yeah, um, she climbs in there too. Yes. Okay. Uh, she's a climber. She climbs. She, yes, and, she climbs. Uh, that might be it, actually. I think that probably counts, but I think that has to do, uh, that it, it, I think j- maybe just reinforces the, the point I want to make, which is the idea that, that yes, yes, Star Wars includes these bottomless pits just all the time. And they're usually symbolic or representative of some great, of like a great tragedy. Um, somebody is going to fall in, somebody's going to get hurt. And and yes, we, we see Cassian fall, but not all the way to the bottom. Um, we see Jin climb out of it. And yes, of course, this movie ends in terrible tragedy. Um, but I think that this bottomless pit is instead of representing the inevitability of Star Wars tragedy and how many hands we're about to lose, it represents the, like, just like with Rey, the climbing is about the journey towards finding yourself. Jin is about to climb to the top of this tower and she is going to be able to say, I'm Jin Erso, daughter of Galen and Lyra, right? Rey is constantly trying to figure out who she truly is and where she truly comes from. She is climbing and climbing and climbing to find that that same that answer. That same answer. Jin can reach the top of the tower and say, I'm Jin Erso. And Rey reaches the top of whatever she's climbing all the time and is never really able to answer that question. I'm Rey who? Palpatine, Skywalker, nobody, Star Wars. (laughs) When you were talking, I remembered one other person who climbed out of a pit. Who? Ben Solo. Oh! And that was was a moment of self-actualization, too. Yes, yes. Oh, you're killing me. We we didn't get to spend a lot of time with uh, revived, reawakened Ben Solo, but he... He was confronting everything about what he had done, and then he was thrown into a pit. And when he climbed out of it, he saved our protagonist. Yes. At the cost of his own life. Yes. Devastating. You know, when when Jin does the same, you know, gives up everything, confronts all of her weaknesses... All, all of her personal moral failings and climbs out of a pit. She emerges at new heights, literally, uh-huh. for herself and is completely self-actualized and loses it all, but saves the galaxy. Uh, that's poetry, actually. That's that rhymes. poetry. That rhymes. And that's good. That's good rhyme. Yeah. So when K2SO, in his final words, gives them... gives them permission and gives them instruction he says climb climb you can you can do this you can finish this task if you get to the you know you can get to the the dish at the top of the tower you can succeed if you just do this all right goodbye climb climb you can still send the plan 
Just it's it's heartbreaking to think about and to realize that what he's telling them is, you know, this this is a bottomless pit and it looks like tragedy, but there's something up at the top that will help you win. And they don't make it off the planet, but they win. And they do win. Yeah, I think I think, you know, ultimately, this is a movie that is about loss, um, but purposeful loss. Uh, and that's, that's K2's death, I think. It's, uh, I, part of what makes K2 dying so impactful is that he was the only one who stayed comic relief, um, the whole way through. Yeah. Uh, and... I, I think that's what makes the, the decision because they really could have switched these scenes around, I suppose, in editing uh, and the timeline still would have made sense. Um, but killing him first says, you know, that there's no space for that in, in the rest of this movie, actually. Yeah. Um, and things, things are about to be the loss you feel here is about to be repeated over and over again. Yeah. For the next 20 minutes. <laughs> yep. We're in the thick of it now. This is this is officially a a super sad podcast yeah. for the the next couple episodes. Uh we're not even done with this one yet. Because yeah. we got we got a couple of more minutes. A couple yeah. more minutes just absolutely filled with me, the, maybe the saddest parts of this movie. Yeah. Personally I, I do to agree. me the, the loss of the loss of Kay and the loss of Chirrut are this are the saddest parts of this movie. Yeah. Um, but we gotta keep going. Okay. We gotta keep going. Okay, so, Kay. He's our first casualty. He's our first, like, main character to go down. Um, Elsa. Earlier. Galen. Okay, fine. Not our first ca- Not our, our first, first, our first our casualty first... of the Battle of Scarif for the main cast because some people have died. Yes, but our first our first casualty of the Rogue One crew. Yes. Of of the the core cast. Yeah. Um by goodbye K. Love love you K. Thank you for everything. Um Cassian is devastated and he l- absolutely loses his cool in a way that we haven't really seen since they left e- since they were leaving Edu. Yeah. Um when Bodhi is like, no, I'm trapped. Like, I am stuck. I am pinned down here. Uh, just like K2 was just a minute ago. Cassian is, has lost it. His eyes are wide. He is freaking out. He's like, no, we have to. You have to do this. Everything rides on this. Um, And so Bodhi goes. Um, And it's, gosh, it's, mm. Poor Cassian. I feel really bad for Cassian here. Yeah, uh, we will we will see Cassian do some thrilling heroics, and what what hits home for me is that it's he has lost K and things are going south for the mission. But he, I don't know. He hasn't he hasn't quit here. No, it it just raised the stakes for him. 
Yes. Uh, it, it made everything more dire, and that means he has to step up everything about what he does. Yes. Uh, and so it redoubles him. Uh, and I, I think that's pretty awesome, actually. Yes. It is. He's a wonderful character. Yeah. Um, he's just losing his cool. He just lost his best friend. Um, yeah. So he's losing his cool. Um, I just want to skip over um, the loss, uh, the devastating loss of my husband. Um, who... You just want to skip that? No, I, mm, I, I don't want to dwell on it because it's going to break my heart. But again, with the, the saddest few minutes of this movie right here, right now, there yeah. goes my, my husband is valiantly... Uh, valiantly fighting uh, and is shot down in the line of duty. He is a hero. Antoc Merrick, rest in peace, blue leader. Well, I, I believe that I saw a, an escape pod, um, <laughs> you know, leave the ship as it was going down. So, oh, so there's there's a chance that he's okay. He's, he's fine. It's okay. <laughs> so uh, just hold that truth in your heart. <laughs> uh, no, he was a he was a hero, blue leader. Yeah. He was he was a, a total hero, a really excellent addition to the film, despite having such a small, relatively small part. Uh, a, a like a, a cool addition to to have. Um, like a, a, a neat close-up look at a, um, at a, at a experienced pilot and a, and a leader within the rebel fleet, not just a general and, and not somebody whose job is only bossing people around, but we get to see him in action and, uh, as like a, like a, he's a, he's a leader, but he's also like a soldier. He's a fighter. Yeah. It's, this we, is, this we get to role... see Poe Dameron pull off a very similar, you know, he's black yeah. leader, right? Like we do yeah. get to see the leader. Luke Skywalker obviously is, uh, is, well, no, he's not rogue leader. Is he? Oh, that's what I was going to say though, is that this is a, a role that we will see Luke slide into by yeah. the time we get to empire. He is the rogue he leader. He is rogue leader. That's um, what I thought. For a while. And then he, you know, he disappears to go become a space wizard. So uh, <laughs> rogue, it falls to Wedge Antilles, I believe. Rogue Squadron um, named after Rogue One, maybe? Yeah. Definitely canon at this point? Definitely canon. Awesome. Um, and so you know, seeing Antok Merrick, a general, which is also Luke's rank as of Empire, right? General Skywalker and yes. General Solo. You know, you know, go go into this fight and you're like, well, he's, here's a hero, right? And we see him do cool stuff. We like, see him pull off some sweet acrobatics in that exactly. X-Wing. And blow up a walker and smile for the camera. And you're like, oh, here's a hero, right? And there's a hero. I feel I feel like part of what makes him so impactful for you, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but what makes him impactful in the movie, even, is the idea of this smiling pilot hero is also ingrained into the DNA of Star Wars. Yep. But in Rogue One, in... This act of this movie, I don't think there's room for that. No. This was the, the perfect time for him to exit. Yeah. Uh, it was just really sad. There's um, no trench for him to run down, you know? Like, no. He, he did his... He got through the shield gate. He caused a ton of damage. He, you know, he did his duty and he fought, you know, for his cause. Goodbye, Antok Merrick. Okay. That's that was me trying not to dwell on it. I could talk. Probably, right? I could probably talk for several more minutes about him. Of course, but it's okay. Um, so here we're gonna go through just like a um a like a big roller coaster of of feelings here. Um, things are gonna as um as Merrick falls. Um. The things start to to take a turn for the much 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 worse. 
Uh, Merrick falls and we the camera tracks him as he falls down to the beach where we see people running through the water. The death troopers land uh, and start immediately causing a ton of damage. We watch a U-wing get taken down, a troop transport get taken down from the air. Um, we, we see a lot of really bad hurt here. And the music starts to get really, really intense. Um, um, but it's going to come back up again in a second, only to fall just even further. This is the, the, the roller coaster of emotions that this movie puts us through during the Battle of Scarif is unfair, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> but in this, like, in this, like, three minutes of movie, we go from what we think is the lowest point of the battle to a really triumphant couple of moments to actually the lowest part of the battle um it takes it takes no time at all and it starts with the death troopers landing and then we get a little boost um because uh jin gets the plans jin, she does she, jin gets the plan they make a like a leap of faith across the uh bottomless pit and grab onto the tower and jin gets the plans and the rogue one theme swells and she's like, I got it. And they make eye contact and they smile at each other. And it's really precious. And you're like, yes, <laughs> we've yeah. done it. Things, Things are going to be gonna fine. Be okay. Um, uh, and at the same time, Chirrut is completing his walk of faith. Uh, Jin and Cassie made a leap of faith and Chirrut is doing a walk of faith. And now th- this, this moment deserves time like dedicated to it. This is one of, this is like, the spiritual center of of this movie is Chirrut's Walk of Faith. I have to say that this this scene left maybe the biggest impact on me in my first viewing. Yeah. Um, just we we've never seen a Force user like Chirrut in the movies, and he's not even really a Force user. He's like a Force channel kind of. Yeah. Um. And there's, it's everything about how he decides to do it, I think, that makes it land. Like, they're in that little bunker, like, doorway. Uh, and they're they're completely pinned down. And we watch somebody just die oh, and then after Mel- deciding. And then Melshi dies. Yeah. Oh, I can't believe I almost forgot to mention that Melshi dies. Um, yeah, Melshi takes a hit to the shoulder and then... Um, and then suffers for a moment talking about the switch. And then next thing we know, we see him dead on the ground. Yeah. What's wild about the way that Melshi takes that hit is that he, he does get back up from it, which we don't get to see often in star Wars, like people taking blaster hits. Yeah. Um, but he, he does run over and then give us some more information and, and dies off screen. Valiantly, Um, bravely RIP Melshi. Right. But there's the, there's the moment where the one soldier is like, all right, I'm going to go. And then he steps out and just immediately, immediately dies. Immediately dies. And that's when Chirrut, I think, knows that not only can nobody else achieve this, but achieving this is the end of the line. Yeah. Um, And so we get like three shots, like his face, his staff, his hands clench. And then he starts to take his first steps. Oh. And it's it's just beautifully paced. Um and it it just becomes the center of attention for the movie. Like 
there's so much gravity in this moment uh because this isn't a he makes it and everybody's gonna be fine moment it's not like Jin picking up the death star plans right like that's not how we feel at the end of this it's it all of the visual language is saying this is a death march oh and if he gets if he gets what he's aiming for that will be the victory uh and it is and he he does get to die with that knowledge and with that peace right yeah because what is the last thing we see on his face it's triumph relief he turns back to bayes with the look of joy yeah joy is it, a good word for cheer it yeah he he's he's smiling he's happy he's done it and and i think what brings him that like incredible contentment is that he has reached an end that feels right for him as as a student of the force um yes he used it to help people he channeled it to safely cross he surrendered to his faith to make the walk and turns around to smile at his best friend and that was that was enough for him. Yeah. Uh Chirrut, Chirrut talks a couple of times in the movie about um paths, right? Yes. Paths being clear. Um and paths being clouded. Uh he he did get to literally in his final moments walk a path. Yes. Um the only clear path. Yes. That he could have walked. And the force the force saw fit to guide him down that one path to one destination. The one path, the only clear way through without without getting hurt. Yeah. But it, it it's not it's not a superpower, right? Not in Rogue One. No. Um and it doesn't it doesn't preserve him. So uh, I would like to talk about I am one with the force and the force is with me. Oof. Okay. <laughs> Are you ready? Yeah. Isn't it isn't it one of the most unique ways we've heard the Force t- described ever? I mean, this movie is treats the Force m- with, um, with like a reverence and like a like a reality that I think nobody else talks about the Force. From Lyra from the beginning saying trust the Force and you know not not having any kind of force sensitivity, but like believing in it and, and asking Jin to trust it, to cheer it using the force, but not really again, like channeling it, but not accessing it. Um, yeah, this, this movie is unique when it talk in its language about the force. I love, I love that I'm one with the force and the force is with me. Um, that prayer is people don't don't talk about the force like that in the rest of Star Wars. They say, "May the force be with you." Yeah. They say, "May it be with you." And he says, "The force is with me, and I am one with the force." People say one with the force when um you know, when, when Obi-Wan die. dies, when yeah, Obi-Wan when they dies. they become one with the force. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he becomes one with the force. He disappears. You know, Ben Solo becomes one with the force, you know. They 
I am one with the force means and the and the force with me, with with me the whole the whole prayer but specifically the first part means I will die. Uh that's inevitable. I will die. Um and until that happens and when that happens the force will will be with me. The force will guide me, the force will help me, the force will help me find the path that I need to walk. Yeah, um, and I don't know, like, in, in stark contrast to what we will later this week in universe uh, hear about the Force in A New Hope, right? Mm-hmm. A hokey religion, um, ancient weapons, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it surrounds us and binds us and penetrates us. It obeys your commands, Um it controls your actions you know like the things that we are told about the force in a new hope culminating in use the force luke let go right yeah um they are at odds with chirit's philosophy actually they are they're 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 dismissive and about active use um are the things that we hear about the force or, you know, when, when we hear Darth Vader talk about the Force and the power of the Force and how it's even stronger than this battle station, right? Yes. Uh, and we see him use it to choke people. And it's a power that lets you lift rocks. Like, it's, <laughs> it's very, it's very, yeah, it's not, we don't get that kind of spiritualism about the Force outside of Yoda. And even Yoda is about using the force for defense and knowledge right right and and so i don't know giving Chirrut this moment of connection to the force in his final moments and then and then having it be effective but not a tool he wields is really powerful it's not a tool he wields it's a <laughs> it's a force that he follows yeah it is a a path that he walks yeah uh and that's I don't know. I, I feel like nothing else that has been related to the Force in Star Wars has elevated the Force to that level for me. Um, yeah. it, it's never been as beautiful as it is in Rogue One because in Rogue One, it's it's sublime, is what it is. That's a great word. Yeah, yeah. it's not. Um, it's not a superpower. It's not a tool or a weapon. It's a, it's faith. It's it's hope. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I really wanted to talk about in this moment is how Baze's prayer ugh. is a reflection of Chirrut's. Yes. Yet it's the same words. It's the same I words. Don't know. Nothing about it changes except which one he chooses to say first. Right. And The Force is with me and I am one with the Force. So I wonder how much does that change the meaning for you when he when he mirrors it? The force is with me. I'm one with the force. The force is with me. I'm one with the force. The force is with me. And I'm one with the force. To me, when when Bayes mirrors it, when he when Bayes starts to pray, and we see cheer it smile and slip away um Baze is 
Bezos acted like a equal and opposite of Chirrut through the whole movie. You know, Bezos, you know, he's he's bigger, he's meaner, he has less less faith and and more snark. <laughs> yeah. He's, you know, he's he is the you know, the opposite. But they're like two sides of of a coin together, the two of them. Um with like a deep like passion and understanding for each other despite their flaws and despite what they disagree yeah. on. Um it's a it is a love that is that is pure and uncontested. Um like an unconditional. Whether whether you want to read that love as platonic or otherwise is entirely your business. I know I know people who who stand by it as as romantic, but um, but it doesn't matter because it's, it's, Baze is, is Chirrut's mirror. It's, they're each other's guides and they have a, like a, a love for each other that means that when it's Baze's turn to pray, to say goodbye to Chirrut, um, it's, he reads, you know, he just, it's just a little... It's just a little different. He's he makes it his own. He he remembers the words and what they feel like in his mouth to say goodbye. You know whether whether or not he's really coming back round doesn't matter. If it does, he really believe in the force again. Who cares? Um, he says he's saying the words as a as a goodbye um, to cheer it and then to you know to himself because he's going to throw himself into the line of fire as well. Um, and I, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. There's a talk about sublime again. That's, there's nothing more, more pure and precious and like that, like a, a, a shining example of like true, true love in star Wars. Then, this moment when they when they pray when when Chirrut kind of passes the prayer on he says look for the force and you will always find me and he stops talking and Baze picks up the prayer where Chirrut left off um and it's it's stunning it's uh devastating yeah devastating is I think the word and and like you said they're they're mirrored attitudes there because like they're never at odds you know no it's it's not that's not a, it's not about that their their disagreement is i don't know in in approach but not in goal um and yeah Baze talks a big game about how he's you know just a charlatan and, and <laughs> lost the faith or whatever but why is he still with Chirrut if he doesn't believe a little bit about Chirrut's whole deal? Does he believe in Chirrut or does he believe in Chirrut's whole deal or does he believe in Chirrut? Yeah. He believe- and, and maybe both and maybe neither. Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's the only thing that feels right and it's not about belief. It's about, um, it's about, it's about caring. It's about yeah. love. They love each other. They take care of each other. They look out for each other. They have each other's backs. They walk into fire for each other. Yeah. 
um, and, and, and for the Force and for what is good in the world. Yeah. And for Jeddah. They they constantly check on each other silently. It's it's glances. It's touches. Yeah. Hand and on the shoulder. It's I I could not see an end for Bayes that isn't this connected to an end for Chirrut. Um yeah. there's no other way to to write that story. Like when Chirrut's gone it's not like that makes Bayes leave, but it makes him, I don't know, it, it, it makes him reach his own end too. Yeah. I don't think, I don't, I don't, I don't think they could have reversed it. Bayes, um, Bayes coming into his faith because of the loss of Chirrut is more important than Chirrut's faith being like revitalized because of the loss of Baze, you know? They had to they had to do it in this direction. Baze yeah. had to lose Chirrut. To... I could see I could see a worse movie where Baze looks at Chirrut and he's like, I get it now. <laughs> I get the force. And then he and then and he then... starts praying and he shoots his way to the to the thing and then he hits the switch and, and, and then dies. he explodes and then Chirrut runs over Bays. No, yeah, no. That, he, that's a no. Stop it. That's worse. That's terrible. It's <laughs> so much worse. That's so it's much weird worse. because it's the exact same movie, and all I did was switch the guys, right? Yeah, but it needed. But, yeah, it needed to go this way. Bays. Yeah. Bays needs to hold Chirrut while Chirrut dies. That's yeah. important. And uh, I don't know. It's yes, the purest love in Star Wars. Star Wars has a huge problem with love. It it talks about love a lot. <laughs> but love in Star Wars is so often, like, it's so often um, possessive and or sacrificial. The only yeah. way you can prove your love to someone is if you give your life for them. This doesn't feel sacrificial, even though they're dying. <laughs> like, yeah, It's different, though, because their love was proven long before this sacrifice. This yes. sacrifice is a is an outcome of their love not an af- affirmation yes because there's no way this sacrifice could affirm their love beyond what we've already seen on the screen yes You're and right. so it's 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 connected to their love but it is not it is not how we realize the love where other other love uh pairings in star wars are things like you were my brother, Anakin. I loved you. Oh, okay. And like, cut so, my heart so like, out. But to, yes. to like make that to to do another perhaps unromantic love, like a platonic, who knows? But yeah, as presented on the screen, <laughs> some right? some people would argue with you. Uh, sure. I am I am not here to do that. <laughs> uh, to to maybe do a comparison there, you know, do we really see Obi Wan and Anakin in the films display? deep brotherly love for one another we see them exchange uh, acts of heroics for each other <laughs> um we see them uh you know ride into battle for each other but honestly one of the big failings of the prequels is is how little of that we see we deserve um, more because yeah. that could have been a great love that could have been this for some reason with less time with Chirrut and Bayes, we see more 
love. Um, and maybe that's a, a failing on, on the prequels, but maybe it's a failing of the character of Anakin Skywalker and his, his, his inability to express love without it being possessive or angry. Yeah, because when you said possessive love, I was like, oh, I'm thinking about Anakin and Padme on the balcony, and no, I'm so in love with you. Yes. Because love has blinded you, right? <laughs> like, Right. Um, <laughs> wow. Like, who wow, who you... loves more? It's a competition. I'm Anakin Skywalker. I'm the best. Right. And that, um, I, I feel like, I feel like his, his, that's his romantic love, but his, like, platonic love, his, like, love for Obi-Wan, um could have been as as pure and beautiful as this love between Baze and Chirrut, but it it wasn't because Anakin's focus on the dark side and power and and all of that um leaves him incapable of expressing love how he may want to. Maybe he does love Obi-Wan. Maybe Obi-Wan loves Anakin. Obi-Wan loves Anakin. Like adores adores him like That's like true. a like a child. Um but Anakin's unable to reciprocate that because of his walk on the dark side. Um, even as a kid, you know, like yeah. he has fear and anger and hate and suffering and all of that are just part of who he is. And that's so sad. It's so sad that that was something that was put on him from such a young age. But, yeah. um, you know, it's Anakin Skywalker. His destiny yeah. in the Star Wars universe is to always be sad. <laughs> yeah, it's his his is a tragedy without end. Yes. Um and so and so like you said there's other sacrificial love. There's um Ray and Ben yep. at the end of Rise of Skywalker and mm-hmm. that's that's all sacrifice. That's like that is how we even know that the love exists. It's, it's just in the sacrifice. It's just sacrifice. They don't even get a moment to they get 0.2 seconds to share some kind of some kind of love. And then, oh, it's gone because all we do is sacrifice for each other. We just right. die in each other's arms all the time. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so it's hard not to draw the parallel of characters dying in each other's arms after giving so much for one another. Yeah. But even I will a, always prefer Baze and Chirrut. Even a great love like uh, Han and Leia, for example. Sure. Um, separated. Uh, torn apart. Hardly able to, barely able to bring it back together before before the end, you know? Uh, and it was mostly just nice words of, you know, I'll bring, I'll bring our son back. You know, like they were, they were torn apart again by the dark side, which left them incapable of being able to, um, to be truly happy. Yeah. Um, and, and because, because, you know, the subtext there is that it was possessive on both of them. Yeah. Like Han felt possessed in in a way that his freedom was limited to do the smuggling thing yes and so we just ran off right yes and leia Leia feeling possessed by her duty and being unable to care for her her son right give him the the care that he needed because she was possessed by by her job and her need to to do the right thing yeah um none of them were ever able to find the balance balance the word is balance (laughs) balance and and they weren't able to find it i have a question mm-hmm. you might just tell me that this is for the next segment <laughs> um Jin and cassian in in their final moments and honestly like now 
as they climb the tower. Uh, they've reached looks and touches and understanding. Yes. Are they kind of carrying that, do you think? I... Yeah. Uh, do you want me to answer in my full shipper heart or... <laughs> I want you. I want you to answer as the uh, host, producer, and editor of Rogue Fun, a podcast story. Um, I think that the bond that the crew was able to make with each other relied a lot on exam- the example of love and trust that Bays and Chirrut exhibit. I think they're the like a model of what trust looks like. Um, Jin connects with them so quick, right? And grabs their hands and, and gets called little sister. I think Jin, yeah. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say yes, that the, the, the communication between Jin and, and Cassian as they, um, as they are able to move in sync and give each other trust and having gone through hell and back again at each other's sides, um, when Jin, when Cassian falls and the look on Jin's face as she's watching him and seems to almost, and seems like hesitate, like, should I stop? Should I, do I need to keep going? Um, it's, I think that's, if it's not love, it's getting there or, and, or could have had the chance to get there, uh, if they had made it off the planet alive. But they don't. But they don't. So we'll never know. And that's the tragedy of Rogue One. But that's the and No, it, I was thinking maybe I would a- ask you to save that for next time. But we didn't. We talked about Chirrut, but we didn't talk about Cassian falling. Um, not really. Yeah, because the... Because the, they, they happen at the same time. The bottomless pit doors open and Krennic steps out with his death troopers and starts firing. Yep. Um... Uh, to to compare these two, so these two scenes are intercut very intimately. Um, this feels like an incredibly low moment. It is a very low moment. Um, Chirrut is making his walk, and Jin and Cassian take their leap, and then immediately need to go hide behind the pillar that they are hanging on to for dear life. Um, the difference in their in their last stands that they're making here the difference in um Chirrut's last stand is is a is a walk of faith across an empty plain where he is visible and and out there and open in his faith and this is how Chirrut fights he steps into a into a, a group of of stormtroopers at the beginning of the movie and fights all of them at once. You know, he stands on the edge of a cliff and takes pot shots at TIE fighters. You know, this is, he is cheer and, and he is open and honest at every point that, you know, you know who cheer it is and what he stands for. Um, Jin and Cassian, on the other hand, um, they fight from around corners and they shoot people in the back and they, um, you know, are learning how to trust each other in, in battle. Um, they often need cover while they're, you know, in firefights in the middle of Jeddah, for example, or on Edu, where they're ducking behind things. Yeah. Um, they're doing it again here. Um, and 
the the film cuts sharply between these two these two fights these two like moments for our characters and like physically what they're doing represents like where they are mentally and then Cassian falls um and and doesn't move the just the most horrible sound comes out of his back when he hits that um when he hits that I, beam I feel it every time and I, I I don't know it's it's something about the flat dull thud oh that it's as he bounces off of it 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 is an incredibly visceral thing to watch happen um and it hurts it does hurt to to i mean like it hurts it hurts jin and then i got to imagine that the the first thought is he's not getting up from that yeah cuz there's no way there's there's a bit of a joke to unnecessarily lighten the mood uh <laughs> from campaign podcast which is a great star wars actual play podcast yes, right yes love love campaign uh, about fall are you talking about fall damage about fall damage uh <laughs> and the idea being that when people fall down something in star wars it is the deadliest experience they can have um and we watch Chirrut die in the intercut scene right we watch cassian fall how how often do you forget that cassian's actually going to come back from this like all the time uh, it's, all, it's all the it's time. like it 50 percent it feels <laughs> right? so final and the music cuts out so sharply as his back breaks there's nothing left it's the the last few notes i have on this page uh, i wrote cassian falls Jin screams bays screams chirrut dies bays prays the music is gone that's it that's the the end of this segment it's these horrible things one right after the other and there's nothing behind it there's no more soundtrack behind it to i mean there's a, a faint notes behind Baze's prayer but that's but it's it's just silent that's this is the lowest point up and uh, we've said how many times have i said that in this segment but this is where things this is truly, the lowest point truly do feel completely lost it's the lowest point before the next lowest point. <laughs> um, but I, I I, actually want to agree with you and not make fun. It is the lowest point in the movie. Yes. Like, this is this is belly of the whale. All hope is lost. There, we, are, we have watched our characters lose as much as they can. If you do a quick count of main crew that are still alive and you think Cassian might be dead right now it's Which, Jin and Bodhi yeah and they have no way to contact each other they have no way to contact each other and uh, Bodhi's out of here in like two minutes yeah Bodhi... we are we are on the cusp of Bodhi Rook dying and, and then Baze right after don't Baze Baze makes it another like minute and a half after Bodhi does less, I would say less than I he watches that... the explosion in the distance and then dies like 30 seconds later. Yeah. And... I, I would say that it doesn't get worse than this. Oh, Baze is still alive. Okay. Yeah. So I'm wrong. Um, but it doesn't get worse than this in the movie because 
they do start to make progress past this point. Yeah. Like, and, and the end of the movie, despite it being horribly tragic, the Death Star blows up, everything, everybody's gone, you're left with the hope at the end of it. You know that they succeeded. You know that they got the Death Star plans, right? But at this point, we don't know that yet. We yeah. don't know what's about to happen. There does not appear to be any hope left. And Krennic is still alive and he is moving. Yeah. And and so I just think, yeah, this this has to be the low point. Because if it gets any worse than this, the mission is over. Mm-hmm. And they all die for nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So it can't. It we, can't get worse than this. We've just lost, uh, or the movie ends. Losing losing Chariot is losing the spiritual core of the group. And they have not yet found... Jin has not yet found or declared her inner, like, strength. Um, and, and not yet, like, announced her self and her being. Um, so we don't have a spiritual core. There's nothing holding them together right now. Because Chariot is gone. Um, yeah, and they won't, she won't find it until she gets to confront Krennic on the top of the tower. Um, and so, but, but that's for next time, I suppose. Yeah, because I was, I was gonna ask a question that I think is for next time. Um, if you'll entertain me. Sure. Uh, how does a movie with this much loss and this much tragedy and this deep of an emotional just gut punch how does it ever come away feeling hopeful and after talking about it today and like purposefully not moving forward to the end it it becomes a more salient question like how do you make this movie feel triumphant because it really isn't right now Mm-mm. And it's going to have to do a lot of work to get there. Yep. <laughs> you agree? I agree. I agree. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is the longest episode yet. Yeah, it was. And I'm glad it was because it came late in August. <laughs> and this is an important one. Yeah, and... Yeah, if we spent less time on some of these segments, I feel like maybe we wouldn't have been doing them justice. So yeah, this is I am glad I am glad. And I um, am glad for anybody who is still listening. (laughs) Uh, It's okay if you needed to take a break halfway through. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, But yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's it for this episode. Uh, well, thank you all for, for joining us, uh, in this absolute unit of an episode. Um, we, uh, mentally are sending you all tissues to wipe your eyes after that last conversation. Hope it wasn't too, too much. I can't reach my box of tissues right now, but I'm (laughs) going to need them when the call is over. As soon as we hang up, go, go blow your nose, because this was a hard one. Um, and the next one's going to be hard too. Uh, so... You can join us uh, next month. In the month of September, we will be uh, covering the segment that is from uh, an hour and 53 minutes in, which is where we're at now. 
um, when Cassian falls and Chirrut dies, uh, we extended it to include Baze's prayer. Um, so yeah, like about a mi- uh, an hour and 53 minutes into the film. And we're going to go through till uh, two hours and one minute into the film. Uh, we're going to stop when Tarkin says the, the infamous words, you may fire when ready. Wow. Yes. So oh we're going to cover the rest of the Battle of Scarif, um, all the way to, yeah, until the Death Star is fired. We'll cover the aftermath of the Death Star being fired. We'll cover, you know, the last scene on the beach and the end of the film uh, in October. Um, so we've got, yeah, one more one more segment of the Battle of Scarif to cover. Um, and hopefully we'll, we'll get that out early enough in September that, uh, to make up for how late this episode, uh, was. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in the meantime, if you want to talk about, uh, this show with us, or you want to talk Star Wars with us or correct anything that we may have missed, um, <laughs> yell at us for making you yell at us about L3. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we are available on Twitter. Yeah, I'm always on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Buddy underscore Duquesne. Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. Yes, and I'm on Twitter and on Instagram at Alice White THP, which stands for Those Happy Places, which is the other show we do about theme parks, rides, and attractions. And you'll probably really like that show if you like this one. You should definitely go check it out. Um, and you can follow the the show. You can follow Rogue Fun at Rogue Fun Pod on Twitter. Um, and... Uh, and you know what? I haven't plugged this in a minute, but I'm on Tumblr, roguefunpodcast.tumblr.com. Uh, I'm always reblogging like fan art and discussions and stuff. I'm I I'm on Tumblr a shocking amount for a 29 year old in the year 2020. <laughs> I do believe that you have uh like excellent taste in gift sets. I do. Tumblr. I do. I have excellent taste. I have great gift set suppliers on uh on tumblr and there's some amazing art and stuff on there that you just have to come see it if you're on tumblr like me uh even though it's probably not cool anymore just come (laughs) on over and also there's a discord server dedicated to those happy podcasts which is like our network of podcasts that we have the family of podcasts that we create yeah yeah and uh if you need a link to join that you can drop us a a, an, an email or a or a tweet uh, and we'll send you a link to join our Discord. That's where the like really meaty conversations have. And I and I know that this one's going to spark quite a lot of emotions on the Discord. So you'll yeah. definitely want to come join us there. You know, Alice, if the folks listening uh, like what we do and they want to support us um, and they might even want to give us a couple of uh, human dollars... <laughs> Or even Republic credits, which are fine here. Yeah, they will Republic do fine. Cred- credits are totally fine. Um, <laughs> you know, they could always follow us uh, on Patreon. Yes, patreon.com slash those happy places is the place to go for that. There are uh, cool rewards like bonus mini-sodes and sticker and postcard combos. So many things that you can uh, that you can access at patreon.com slash those happy places. Yeah, we recently reworked the tier structure uh, to more accurately reflect what we think is the the value of uh, the Patreon. Um, and so we recognize that times are tough, but if what we do means something to you, a couple of bucks a month could get you some cool 
rewards. So yeah. um, thank you to everybody who does support us on Patreon. Yes, yes. And one of those rewards is getting your name read on the show. Uh, which I will do right now. <laughs> um, very big special thanks to Aslam C, Charles G, April L, Ian E, Nick H, Rejay, AJG, Jim C, and Kate P for your uh, for your patronage and your your love, support, and friendship. You guys are yeah. uh, amazing. And of course, uh, we understand that if uh, Patreon is not something you can do right now, uh, that, you know, you, you might not be able to do it. However, if money is not something that you can give us, the best thing you can give us is to talk about the show with somebody else. Absolutely. Please, please, please share the show with your friends, with your Star Wars loving friends, with your film studies loving friends, and especially with people who may not get it. You love Rogue One. You, we know you love Rogue One, but like some people don't and we need to tell them why they're wrong. <laughs> I got to tell you, I, I remind people about this all the time, but that's what happened to me with Rogue Fun. It's true. Like I was not a believer until you started this podcast and kind of made me understand what this movie could mean. It's true. Uh, at, this podcast was dedicated to you before we got <laughs> uh, before we got listeners. So. Yeah. And so, <laughs> like, the, the idea that that might happen for somebody else who maybe was feeling after their first viewing of Rogue One, like, maybe a little misled by the marketing or something like that. Because I know, I know that was part of my complex feelings, right? Like, <laughs> oh, that wasn't in the movie. What were those shots? Um, you know, if that could happen for somebody else where they could see what we got on the screen was still important and special and really great Star Wars. Um, I would be so happy to find out about that. Buddy, thank you so much for uh, hosting this show with me. Alice, you are my best friend. Uh, you are an amazingly creative person with oh. great ideas about Star Wars and Rogue One. Oh. And without you, this show would not exist. Uh, so I would never imagine doing it without you. <laughs> I, you um, you're 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 so great. I'm so happy that that we were able to bring you aboard, and you always come up with the coolest insights, and uh, you're just a, a joy to have. So um, I am I'm I'm glad that you're here. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Um, so Alice, rogue fun, pulling away. May the force be with us. <laughs>